Chapter 15 of 2,000 Miles Below by Charles Willard Diffin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lake of Fire. Before a barrier of gold waist high, Dean Rawson stood tense and rigid. Behind him, the great cave room swarmed with warriors, leaders, doubtless, of the unholy hordes. But beyond the barrier were the real leaders of the Mole Men tribes. Fee-e-all, ruler-in-chief, and his clustering guard of high priests. In the flooding light from the wall, their eyes were circles of dead white skin. A black speck glinted wickedly in the center of each. Fee-e-all was speaking. His artificially whitened face grimaced hideously. The shrill, whistling voice made no comprehensible sound. But in some manner, Rawson gathered a dim realization of what his gestures meant. Fee-e-all pointed at the captive, and one lean hand, with talons more suggestive of a bird of prey than of a human hand, pointed downward. Gavaro, he said. The word was repeated many times in the course of his whistling talk. Gavaro, what did it mean? Then Rawson remembered. It was the word he had heard in his dreams the name of the Lake of Fire. The voices of the priests rose in a shrill chorus of protests, and even Fee-e-all stood silent. They crowded about their ruler, and Rawson knew they were demanding him for themselves. Then the one who still held a human body in his arms sprang forward, and his long talons worked unspeakable mutilation upon the body and face. Rawson averted his eyes from the ghastly spectacle for swiftly he was seeing something more horrifying than this desecration of a dead body. He was seeing himself, still living, tortured and torn by those same beastly hands. The dead face of Sheriff Downer was staring at him from red, eyeless sockets, as with one leap Rawson threw himself over the golden wall. Ten leaping strides away was his gun. In that instant of realization he knew why his life had been spared. In the room of fire, he had destroyed their priest. They had saved him for further torture. To get his hands on that gun, to die fighting, the thought was an unspoken prayer in his mind. Behind him, the room echoed with demoniac shrieks. Before him was the metal stand. His outstretched hands fell just short of the blue forty-five as he crashed to the floor. The copper ones were upon him. Half stunned by the fall, he hardly knew when they dragged him to his feet. He was facing the golden figure of Fee-e-all, but now the ruler's indecision had vanished. He was exercising his full authority, and even Rawson's throbbing brain comprehended the doom that was being pronounced. Gavero, he was shrieking, Gavero! Beside him a priest swept the metal table clear. Rawson's clothing, the gun, the radio receiver— all were snatched up and hurled into one of the massive chests. Fee-e-all was still shouting shrill commands. An instant later, Rawson was lifted in air, rushed to the barrier, and thrown bodily from the sacred premises he had invaded. Then the hands of the Red Guard closed about him before he could struggle to his feet. A shining object swung down above his head. It was the last he knew. His dreams were a-falling. Always when he half-roused to consciousness, he was aware of that smooth, even descent, and he knew it had continued for hours. 
Once he saw black walls slipping smoothly past, upward, always upward. Gropingly, he tried to marshal his facts into some understandable sequence. He was falling, falling towards the center of the earth, and this that he saw was not rock or any metal such as he knew. It's all different, he told himself dully. New kind of matter. Rock would flow. This stands the pressure. But he knew the air pressure had built up tremendously. The blood was pounding in his ears. He wanted to sleep. It was the heat that awakened him. The air was stifling him, suffocating. He was struggling to move his heavy body, fighting against this nightmare of heat, when he opened his eyes and knew that he was in a place of light. First to be seen were walls, no longer black, no longer even with the characteristics of rock or even metal. Here, as Rawson had sensed, was a new material to form the core of a world. It would have been red in an ordinary light. It was transformed to orange, strangely terrifying, in the blazing flood of yellow brilliance that came from the tunnel's end. Rawson's brain was not working clearly. An unendurable weight seemed pressing upon him, the air pressure, he thought, to which he had not yet become accustomed, and the air itself, hot, hot. A breeze blew steadily past toward the place of yellow horror at the tunnel's end. Yellow, that reflected light, but its source was a searing, dazzling white in the one brief instant when Rawson dared turn his eyes. Hands held him erect, red, gripping hands. One whose body seemed a molten copper in that fierce glare approached. His hand described a circle over Rawson's bare chest. Straight lines radiated out from the circle, lines of stabbing pain for the helpless man. He had seen the same emblem in the Temple of Fire, again in the big room where Fee All had stood. The living sacrifice was prepared. Burned into his bare flesh was the emblem of their legendary sun-god. The priests, their bodies coated with a flashing coppery film that must somehow be heat-resistant, had him in their grasp. The red warriors had fallen back. Then Fee All appeared. He joined the march of death, of which Dean Rawson formed the head. Voices were chanting. Somewhere a trumpet blared. Then Rawson, moving like one in a dream, knew the priests were guiding him toward that waiting, incredible heat. The tunnel's end was near. About him was an inferno where heat and hot colors blended. The whole world seemed aflame. But beyond the tunnel's end was a seething pit upon which no human eyes could look and live. One glimpse only of the unbearable whiteness beneath which was the lake of fire then the chains of his stupor broke, and Dean Rawson struggled frenziedly in the grip of two copper giants. They had been chanting a shrill, monotonous refrain. They ceased now, as they fought to throw the man out past the last ten paces, where even they dared not go. Rawson was beyond conscious thought. Eyes closed against the unendurable heat, he fought blindly, desperately, then knew his last strength was going from him. Still struggling, he opened his eyes. Some thought of meeting death face to face compelled him. A hideous, coppery face glared close into his own. Miraculously, it vanished, disappeared in a cloud of white. Then the blazing walls were gone. There was nothing in all the world but rushing clouds of whiteness, shrieking winds, the roar of an explosion, and cold so biting that it burned like heat. 
Vaguely he wondered at the hands that still clutched at him. Dimly he sensed other bodies close to his, other hands that tore him free where he lay, still struggling with the priests upon the floor. A narrow opening was in the wall, a blur of darkness in the billowing white clouds. They were dragging him into it, those others who held him, and they were white, white as the vapor that whirled about him. Ahead, the girl of his former dreams was guiding him, her hand cool and soft in his. Others helped him. He ran stumblingly where they led, down a steep and narrow way. The white ones. In a vision they had reached out to him before. Was this too a dream? Was it only the delirium of death? That burst of cold? Had it truly been liquid fires wrapping him around? Dean Rawson could not be sure. He knew only that his fate lay wholly in the hands of these white ones, and that the hideous eyes and the coppery face of a priest had glared at them as they fled. End of chapter 15